Hey friends, thanks for listening to the City Network Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Before we get to the episode, I want to take a moment to tell you about the Soul Care Prayer Summit happening April 22nd to 24th up at Quaker Hill in McCall. The summit is for men and women who serve as leaders and missionaries in the Treasure Valley. This is a space created for you as a visionary leader to hear from God and care for your soul. And it's not just for pastors. It's for anyone who has a vision for kingdom transformation in their sphere of influence. We want to create a space for you and your spouse to pray over that and to pray for our valley together as a unified church trying to reach our communities with the gospel. We're also helping with childcare this year, so let us know on the registration form if that's a need for your family. Go to thecitynetwork.org slash soulcare to register. And now for today's episode. Too, what I also see, and I think this is going to challenge exponential, is I think they're longing for something that is is not just quantitative but qualitative mm-hmm. um so i mean you've heard me at exponential and for those who aren't familiar i mean exponential we have this mission called the 16 percent mission yeah. and that we would love to see 16 percent of all churches across the united states become reproducing or multiplying churches we because we feel like that could change the landscape of north america and i still think that is a tipping point i think that's absolutely right and i think that needs to continue to be our mission but i what i'm discovering and I'm also feeling myself, is I think a lot of us are going like, okay, yeah, 16%, but 16% of what? You're listening to the City Network Podcast. Our mission is to grow and multiply healthy churches in the Treasure Valley and beyond. Head to thecitynetwork.org for more info on our initiatives to catalyze church transformation and church planting. Here's today's podcast. All right, welcome today. Glad you could be with us. My name is Robert Frazier, and I, we have a very special guest one of my one of my favorite people. Uh, he's been a huge inspiration to me. I what what I say, Dave, uh, when I'm when I was planting, I read on the verge that you and Alan wrote, and that was the foundation for everything that we did in terms of the network and our church plant. And oh, so, wow. like, whether you realize or not, like, I feel like that was the first time I had really, like, figured out how to take what Alan had been talking about and make it, like, really practical. So, you you're, you take responsibility whether you want to or not for all the successes and or failures of my ministry. <laughs> I, I, I would love to own that. And also, I, I think we ought to give props to Alan because I do feel like part of my mission in life is to take the stuff that Alan talks about and then some people don't understand and go like, oh. Here's how we could do this. <laughs> yes, and and he needs it. He definitely needs that. All right. Uh, so Dave is the award-winning author, founding pastor of Chicago's Community Christian Church. It's a missional multi-site church, one of the most influential in America. He's also the visionary and in international church planting movement. Uh, the visionary for the international church planting movement that I'm a part of, new thing, and the president of the Exponential Conference. So sounds exactly like what I sent you. Yeah, it's that's exactly <laughs> on DaveFerguson.org. That's what it says. So you got you got to start with that. Um, and obviously, Dave, you got a lot going on. It's the week of exponential, so we feel yeah. graced by your presence. Thank you for joining us. 
Well, we got a great team, and I think I I I am so excited about next week. And I, it feels like with the, some of the stuff that's happening across the country, that I think there's just a different level of expectancy coming to into exponential. And I know since we got some folks listening to us live right now too. I mean, if they could be praying about it, um, we've made a commitment not to try to make anything happen, you know. Um, but it, there is a part of it that's kind of like, well, if God's really moving in a different way across the United States right now and his spirit is, and he wants to move it from kind of a worship to a really to mobilize people. I mean, we got a lot of apostolic types that are going to be gathering, you know, over 5,000 in Orlando. And it just, it kind of feels like, wow, maybe God wants to do something in those people's hearts and minds to really mobilize something different. So yeah, if you'd be praying about that, that would be phenomenal. I'm, I'm excited. Well, I, I think that the, the theme of exponential this year, which is evangelism and what it looks like to kind of revamp and rethink evangelism in 2023 is, is a phenomenal like starting point. So, you know, movement happens in our hearts and then it moves out through our lived action being on mission. So I'm, I'm stoked about that. What are you like from a content standpoint, what are you most excited about for this week? Um, I, I mean, the people, the, the lineup we have of speakers, I mean, we're fortunate at this point to most people when we ask them to speak at experts, they say, yes, they're really excited about it. And so I'm really excited about, about that group of people. Um, there was, I think it um, probably maybe, I mean, if I was going to pick, I'm kind of, I'm really excited in session three. We have back to back Christine Kane and John Mark Comer. And one of the things I always, which is fun, is I usually, I, I always um, not only ask them to speak, you know, a year or two years in advance, but then like sometime a month or so beforehand, I'll go over what we ask them to talk about. So different than a lot of conferences, we actually have, like you mentioned, one big idea. Mm-hmm. And rather than kind of coming with their best conference talk, we ask them, hey, could you? contribute to what we're trying to you know make as a big idea as an overall thrust by talking on this part of you know evangelism and one of the things it's also it's christine king she's so smart she's so smart i mean like the last two years she spoke and i'll call her up and say hey here's what i'm thinking you know we really have, like to have you talk about and then and she'll be like well that's pretty good but have you ever thought about it? she ends up like i'm going like yes no you should do that instead and so i i in my conversation with her, I think particularly in post-Christian, post-modern um, kind of America, we have to take a much more relational approach to evangelism. And I've written about that in the blessed practices and other things. And I'm, I am gung-ho on that. But she gently pushed back. She said, but we still have to be intentional. Yep. And I thought that was so smart. So I'm really excited to hear how she takes kind of what we're really saying is, you know what, it can't be gospel just as proposition, gospel, you know, just as kind of even um, uh, declaration, but it really relates with, she's saying, yes, true, but we have to be intentional. So I'm excited to hear what she has to say about that. Um, And then John Mark Homer after that, I think John Mark's one of the most, I think he's a really important voice in uh, Christianity right now. I think he's both a practitioner because he's been a pastor, had been a pastor for so long, but also I think he's um, spends a lot of time in thought and study and prayer. And he's coming off his sabbatical. Actually, he's going to do like his whole practicing the way stuff. He's going to do a whole track on that. Oh, really? I know. And like, I mean, that's worth it. I know know what track I'm doing now. (laughs) That's worth (laughs) exponential for just like, Oh, I'll, 
I'll do that and then go home. So, well, and just getting John Mark to show up as a coup because he, you know, he's, he protects his time. So like that, that's a gift that he's showing up for exponential. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's those couple things I'm really excited about. Awesome. Well, as, as much as you know, you've been a huge part of what's happened here with our, with our story here in Boise and our church planning network, the city network, you've come out a couple of times. Actually, I think, is it two or three times you've been to Boise now? Three times now. Yeah. Yeah. Three times. And we, we've had some really special moments and I, I, I'm excited to get you back out here because there's, there's a lot of new faces around the table that are engaging in the call. I would, and I would love to. We've got, I think we got about a dozen guys who are in process in church planning right now. Want to want to get you in front of those guys. Maybe we can do a webinar or something with them in the near future. But today, I really want to dive in. So we we rolled out the movement system at our last gathering with the City Network because I think that it's it's taken what we've done. We started with church planting because we believed that driving at church planting would make us all focus on doing the right things. If we're thinking about multiplying and sending, then we have to do leadership development. If we want to do leadership development, we have to do disciple making. Yep. And if we want to do disciple making, we have to do proclamation of the gospel. Like that, like it moves us backwards. And it's, it's like, we're finally, everybody's going, okay. Some, some churches are like, we do okay with proclamation, but we don't know how to make disciples who make disciples. And so I'm stoked about, uh, I'm, I think I'm leading through my third reproducing disciple making um, catalyst. And that's just been a gift, but I, I'd love to have you dive in and talk about the kind of the, the focus of the movement system and why you think it's vital for like the next stage of the new thing movement and also just for, for church planting. Yeah. And I, I would love to hear your thoughts too. Um, after that on like, Hey, here's the part that's working or even part that's not working. And we need to, the, the tweak. Um, I think one of the reasons I'm really excited about it. And I think it's really important for right now is, um, for those people listening who aren't familiar with New Thing, God's favors, I don't know how it's expressed any other way than that, has really just been on New Thing in that, I mean, it started like 16, 17 years ago, really, with us planting one church and a whole bunch of people moving from Chicago out to Denver. Fast forward, you know, five, six years into it, you got like a dozen churches and all of a sudden, and that, that was the point where, and it's kind of like, again, we kind of accidentally did something right that God used. We said, hey, we got all these, you know, six, I think it was 12 churches at that point, 13. I said, well, what if we made it two different networks instead of one? And it really was just a bunch of friends trying to plant more churches together. And so we kind of started reproducing networks. And then after we did that, it was like we noticed that as we put churches in smaller networks, like four to six, that it really accelerated the amount of churches they would plant. So, and part of the reason I'm telling this part of the story and I'll get to the movement system is what happened from there, really. I mean, now here we are, how many years into it? And last year we helped plant over 9,000 churches in in 47 countries. So now it's, like, and, and most of those are outside of the United States. So, I mean, it's truly a global kind of experience. Well, one of the things that's awesome about it being a global experience is you get to learn from the global church. The, the global body of Christ. And there are definitely different parts of the, of the church and different parts of the world who have important things to offer us. And so, I mean, like, as I know you, you know, I mean, the, the church in India or the church in Africa, they do a much better job of discipling folks than we do in, in the North America. And so we need to learn from them. I think there are some things 
that are unique to the United States and North America about leaderships that we kind of get that we can share. And so there's, there's different things. And so what we have in the movement system is I think new thing and matured to a certain place globally that we're able to actually um, pull together um, people who are both thought leaders and practitioners and put together um, what we call the movement system based on first principles. These are first principles that work in any context. And, and um, as you kind of previewed there, what we have is there's basically five different reproducing, uh, five different reproducing catalysts. There's a reproducing disciples catalyst. And then there's a reproducing leader catalyst. Then there's the reproducing church catalyst. And then there's the reproducing network catalyst. And then the reproducing movement catalyst. And we had kind of some bits and pieces of this. I, but I think this is the first time that we've been able to actually reach out to, you know, all of our friends around the world and say, okay, what's the best stuff that we see working and put it in a way that, you know, a, a um, well, a disciple of Jesus or a leader of a, it could be a small group or micro church or a missional community or of a church plant or a network leader can really grab a hold of it and go like, okay, here's how I can actually access this content and really kind of, I guess to use more of a business term, but it does fit our conversation around movement. How do we actually scale it? Yeah. And I love the fact that, you know, it really starts where you're starting with these re the reproducing disciple catalyst. If, if you get that part right, okay, disciple making, um, you're gonna, unless you just kind of intentionally try to stop it, you will eventually move to this reproducing leaders and reproducing churches and even movements. Our networks. Well, because when you, when you have too many disciples, you have to do something. It forces you to. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of it. And the, there's some of that, I don't want to oversell, but there's some of that's been that's happened with, I think, even with new thing too. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about kind of like the ethos of new thing, because I think the four R's of new thing are an important piece of like why movement is happening. And so let's, let's dive into the four R's, share the four R's and then kind of walk through like how each piece was a part of the founding of the network and what it looks like today. I mean, you opened our conversation talking about, you know, uh, Alan and I write on the verge and there are a lot of things. And for those, when we say Alan, we mean Alan Hirsch. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that I think myself and I think Rob, you probably say this too, that we've learned from Alan. We feel a great debt of gratitude. And I remember, um, and this leads to the four R's, him talking about um, that, that movements are what he, what he I, I don't know if he made up this term or not, but chaotic, because he's always making up words. I, lo I love that word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and chaotic is this idea that there's chaos happening, but at the core, there is some order. And so, and, and the order is around kind of the vision and values. And so new things very clear about its vision. Okay. But then these four R's are also, we're very clear about here's the four values. Right. And, and, and if you want to be a part of new thing, you could be a part of new thing, but this is the thing that's constant, that vision and these four R's, which are our values, which are uh, the first R is re is relationship. And even I kind of briefly told the new thing story at the beginning and it started with, you know, a bunch of people that are friends. Yep. And so when we talk about ours, it's really friends on mission. And like, if I come out to Boise and I mean, yeah, I may come out there and speak or do something, but I'll really, I mean, in my head, it's like, I'm coming out to see Rob because yeah. he's, he's a friend of mine and I, and we're on mission together and I love what he's doing and who he is. And um, I think that is, I think that's what Jesus had in those first that first group of disciples, 
I think that's who he intended the, 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 the eternal community, the church to be. And, and I think that's what we're, we're really calling to that first R is relationships. We're just, we're going to be friends on mission. And we, so we assume the best, we trust each other. We just intuitively, I mean, show up with open hands, you know, with one another. Yeah, I think lots of, lots of organizations and networks see that as a, like a secondary thing. But I, I, what I, when I talk about our story here in Boise, it was built on these deep friendships. Like it was five of my friends who were pastors. We had all done some level of youth or college or young adult ministry together. And so we had a ton of trust and care for one another and we wanted to be together. And what I always say is that it's, it's like you can build a network based on the friendships of a few because people want to be a part of a tight knit friendship. Like it's like this magnetic sort of thing. And I also think that like what Alan talks about communitas, the idea that as we are in the trenches together doing it, it, it drives the deep connection so that it can't be torn apart by uh, lack of uh, time together because we're, we're knit together in, in the, in the trenches. And I think that it's, it's both like this essential thing to who we are. And also it's the result of what we do. It's, it's like both and to me. So I, I, I love that it's at the center. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, I, you probably, you just did a better job of describing than I did, but I'm, I'm, yeah. And I do, I think, I think, and, and I think that is the thing that probably makes new thing the most kind of magnetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were out here, we did an after party at our city network conference last year and we just had a bunch of friends at our, at one of our pastors, like missional businesses. And there was like probably 40 or 50 people. And we all just had appetizers and drinks and people stayed for three or four hours because they wanted to be together. Right. And that's the sort of like depth that we're talking about. This is not like a, Oh, it's nice. Cause he's, you know, a part of this thing and he's over there. It's like when we're together, it's, it's true friendship. And, 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 the, and part of the, part of the secret sauce is that's actually where things get done too. Yep. Yeah. You know, you know this too. And if those of you who haven't been, there, there's some of that with exponential too. I mean, because the exponential, it, it kind of looks like a conference. Yeah. But I try to tell people every time they show up, no, this is not a conference. This is a community with a cause. Yep. And if the conference vehicle doesn't work, we're going to quit doing that and we'll do something else to help accomplish the cause. And the truth is, I mean, like John, John Mark Home will be awesome. Christine King will be awesome. But, but the best stuff that actually happens at exponential is people hanging out you know, afterwards going to dinner or getting a drink or some people love smoking cigars. And I mean, they're just, you know, and they're figuring out, Hey, how we, and because they're just, they're together and we're both passionate about it. You start strategizing and dreaming together. And yeah, that's what it looks like to be friends on mission. And no questions like a job. It's like, it's like recess. (laughs) Yeah. Don't, don't tell my wife how much fun it is, but every year I tell her like, I need to be at exponential. And she's like, well, isn't it like the same content? And I go, well, no, no, it's not really the same content, but I, (laughs) but I go there because like I can avoid 200 zoom calls over the year. If I'm at exponential for four days, like I I get like all this FaceTime and friendship and prayer for friends and like walking in like content and asking questions. And it's like, Things that would take like a whole year's worth of intentionality happen over three or four days. And then it spurs on movement and partnership and all the things that I do in my life are built around those relationships. So I, yeah, it's, it's much more than just, Hey, we're going to get some content. It's deeper. 
And, and it's funny. I mean, now let's go back to the church plant. You talked about how you started the city network there. It was just a bunch of friends. I mean, in some ways, Community Christian, the church we planted, it was, it was like we had five friends. I mean, and my wife, Sue, literally, I mean, because she was, she was teaching school and she'd had to drive an hour one way to get to school and then an hour back. And so basically she was kind of doing the fundraising by doing that. And she would, you know, sometimes serious, other times jokingly, you're just going to play with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> She's right. But it was important it was. work too. I mean, yeah. I mean, I can't deny it. It's like <laughs> at a church, but it was, I mean, and, and we yeah. did and we still do. We had a great time. Mm-hmm. No question. All right. So relationship, we got that one down. Second R. Relationship. And again, you, I, and I think, I mean, that is probably, if you only, if I only had to pick one, I probably pick that one. But anyway, the second R is reproducing and kind of we're reproducing at every level. And that speaks to the, the movement system that we want to reproduce disciples, reproduce leaders, reproduce churches, reproduce networks, and even reproduce movements. And so that's what, that's what we're, that's what we're all about. The reproducing part. Um, yeah. Relationships. Well, and I, I want to, I want to stop there real quick. Cause yeah. I think like a lot of, a lot of church planting and church organizations are built on this like desire for size and status and control. But the sort of reproduction we're talking about is this open-handed reproduction. Like we believe that we reproduce disciples, not so that we have more leaders in our church, but we reproduce disciples because they're going to make more disciples. I think when we talk about reproducing at, at, at new thing as, as one of the values, it is at every, every different level. And, and it's like each of those levels build upon the other. Because if you get the first one right, disciples, then you will get leaders, then you will get churches, and then you will get networks. And it's, it, it's just, it is its core to who we are. And uh, um, uh, yeah, so yeah, I think that that's a piece of it. But then the reproduction is, is really about, it's about kingdom outreach. And it's about this open-handed kind of open system. So that's one of the things I love about New Thing is it's not, um, you're not trying to build an Episcopal system of control and like command. It really is this relational when heard, dynamic. When you've heard Patrick, who's our, you know, our global director, Patrick always talks about no kingdom over a castle, kingdom over a castle. Yep. And, and the other thing it's worth saying too, I mean, that maybe is a little bit different about new thing. And I hope we'll see more of this is we don't really care what expression of ecclesia, what expression of church you're reproducing. Yeah. We kind of will sometimes put it in buckets. We don't care if, 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 if it is macro, like the big church, and it's a prevailing model, or if it's micro and it's a smaller church, or if it's meta, if it's something purely digital. We feel like all three of those and lots in between, um, if you can figure out what your simple ecclesiology is, uh-huh. you can what your simple ecclesiology, and by that I just mean, what's, your, what's the simplest definition for church? And you can, we don't care how you express it, but then just make sure you're reproducing that because that movement, then eventually helps create, helps accomplish the mission. And we talk about our radical minimum ecclesiology. What is like, what, what has to be a part for it to still be church and how do you reproduce that? So you guys, I mean, if someone put you on the spot and go like, like I'm doing it right now. So what is your minimal, how would you client it? What's your, your minimal ecclesiology? How would you define church? Well, we, we borrow from others, but I think it's a group of people who have rhythms of like what we call up in and out. So deep connection with the father formation and community and mission alongside God. If those three things are, are true, you have church. If you remove any one of those, you don't have church. Is that, how do, what's your simple ecclesiology, Dave? As you guys, you've been launching your network of micro church. Yeah, I would language it probably a little different, but I think it's exactly the same. 
Um, I would just say a community of people who are on mission together where Jesus is Lord. And so okay. yeah. within there, you got the up in and out. Yeah. So a community of people on mission together where Jesus is Lord. And I think to me, if you got that, you have a church. And there are a lot of other things that, that you know, even the pastoral epistles talk about and all those kinds of things. But to me, if you got that, yeah, you got a church. And there's there's other things that fit within those, but as long as you got those three things, you got the the what you know what Alan Hirsch would say is like the the DNA, the missional DNA of the church is is present, the apostolic DNA. Okay, I mean just to speak to that briefly, I mean like if we're having you work through our movement system, and and we'll have you figure out yeah what is your minimal like we won't tell you what your minimal ecclesiology is you, you but we say you need to figure that out because that's what you're going to. Mm -hmm. And if they say, well, it's going to require robes and candles and big buildings, what's what's going to be your response? <laughs> Our response is that's awesome, but that's going to be really hard to reproduce a lot of. Oh. Okay, that's that's that, that's a that's a good juke through right there. You just sidestep the question. <laughs> okay, third R. Let's keep moving. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. So relationships reproducing and the third. The third R is what we call residency, or sometimes we just say raising leaders. And so the idea of a residency is someone that you're apprenticing. And at the core of every kind of movement, movements for great good or evil, honestly, there is mm -hmm. some kind of apprenticeship. There's some kind of apprenticeship. And so that's got to be um, integral to everything, everything that you're doing. So whether I mean, you're a Sith Lord or a Jedi Master, you always have you always have your apprentice. <laughs> So that's the, that's the third R. And uh, then the fourth R is resources. And again, it speaks to what you talked about, just being open-handed with our resources. Uh, I was, you know, Anthony Delaney, one of our new mm -hmm. thing friends over in Manchester, I was on a call with him this morning. And he was talking about, you know, both um, some of the content that he's creating around disciple making and really even kind of on, on uh, well, mostly disciple making. And he wants to figure out ways to share that open-handedly but also even some dollars and cents kind of stuff that he wants to do. So that's, that's kind of who we are. Excellent. Well, you know, we did the, the infomercial part, which is like, I, I want people to know what the movement system is. And if you want to hear more about that, please reach out. We're going to be, uh, we're in the middle of a reproducing disciples um, catalyst right now. There could be another group that's going to start in late April. And so if you'd like to sign up for that, let me know. And we'll also put a link to the movement system um, website from new thing there. And you can also join, there's a, there's a community in Mighty Networks if you want to get more connected with new thing, hear what's happening within there. You get discounts to exponential, you know, some good things. So, so join in with the new thing conversation. Uh, now I want to, I want to pivot for the next 10 or 15 minutes and just talk more generally about church planting. Okay. And I'd, I'd love to start with what excites you about the next generation of guys who are stepping into leadership, gals who feel called and like, what are you seeing that you're excited about? Um, I, I mean, I was just, I was, I was down in Dallas in December with the, with the Barna Research Group, and you've probably seen the stuff by now too, but I mean, they're talking about Gen Z and they, they call Gen Z the open generation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really excites me about that generation is um, that they're more open to spiritual things than any, than, than, than millennials, than busters, or than boomers. And that, I think there's some, I, I think there's something happening in the United States right now that I don't remember feeling in my lifetime. And, and it's probably a little too early to say, but things that are happening 
and like at Asbury and, and, and otherwise, I think there is this openness. Yeah. But I think there also is also a um, different level of desperation too. Yeah. Where in that, you know, that, that 18 to 29 year old range, there's a, um, you know, coming out of COVID also the last, there's a lot of research for the last 10 years just shows a spike in, in, in struggles with mental health. I think there's a different level of desperation. And I think that openness and desperation just really makes it ripe for, for God's spirit to do something. And so you have that whole generation. And yeah. um, I think- would, would you say they're hungry for connection? Like, oh. like as an isolated generation, mental illness, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, all that's so deeply tied to how isolated they are? I think so, yes, yeah. I, absolutely. Um, and, and, and if, and if you kind of, if that's this generation then and then, um, church leaders are coming out of that too, what I also see, and I think this is going to challenge exponential is I think they're longing for something that is, is not just quantitative, but qualitative. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, you've heard me at exponential and for those who aren't familiar, I mean, exponential, we have this mission called the 16% mission yeah. and that we would love to see 16% of all churches across the United States become reproducer and multiplying churches. We, cause we feel like that could change the landscape of North America. And I still think that is a tipping point. I think that's absolutely right. And I think that needs to continue to be our mission, but I, what I'm discovering and I'm also feeling myself is I think a lot of us are going like, okay, yeah, 16%, but 16% of what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well that, be that's a, been a part of our mission from the beginning is we believe church planting is the way to get the church healthy. Cause I don't know if, I don't know if a lot of existing churches can make shifts towards health, but I think we can start healthier churches and we can, we can change the conversation, but that's, that's what it takes. It's harder. Do me and your, our listeners here a favor too. So draw the, draw the line. That's kind of, I heard you just, it was dotted, but kind of make it a solid line between church planning and church health. Why is church planning the way to church health? Well, I think there's there's two pieces to it. The first is whoever gets the ear of church planters and gets to help shape their calling and the trajectory of their their ministry will get to determine and help them move towards the sort of kingdom ethos we want to see in the church. The true church being what is meant, healthy leaders who have dealt with their nonsense and are working through all of, you know, the little mega church pastor that's screaming in their ear. And, you know, if we can, if we can launch healthy churches, then the church gets healthier over time because there's no church makes it more than a couple of generations. And so every, every church, we're, every generation we're recreating the church and church planting is the way to set that stage. But I think there's a second piece to it when church plants show up in neighborhoods older churches start realizing that they have to change and it, it creates some, some holy discontent around them and realizing that if they want to reach the next generation, they're going to have to shift what they do and what they value. And I think that's a good thing. So that's, those are the two ways that I think about health and planting. Yeah, and, and I guess back to your question too, about why am I excited about the next generation? I, I think because what you're talking about is exactly what I think that next generation is looking for. I think I think their eyes still light up when you talk about if you have a if you're an entrepreneur or an apostolic gift their eyes still light up when you talk about movement and multiplication but there is but there's also there's they probably them and their friends have been burned enough they're going like yes 
but what's it going to what but what what qualitatively is it going to be like well they have questions about institution and authority that the last generation saw as a symbol of strength this generation sees as a threat and so we have to we have to de-emphasize authority and emphasize empowerment and at the same time like give them rails to go okay how could i how could i create like and what i tell young people is like stop deconstructing and help us create something that's worth doing like like we need you to help us build something what are we going to reconstruct yeah 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 so okay I, lo- I love that what what concerns do you have about church planting in north america right now like what where are there danger signs for you i i do i think there is a lot of a, a deconstruction happening around the prevailing model the constantinian kind of model of church which the launch in you know, in church planning parlance, the church, the, the, the launch of large model. Um, and I, I think that's happening, but I think, and even as we kind of, and sometimes kind of try to go like, okay, here's what's wrong with this. Here's how we need to do things different. There's still this framework that's like stuck in our brain that, and I, and I don't, and it's a paradigm and so I guess what, what concerns me is that is the paradigm. How do we escape the paradigm? And again, hear me, I lead a large church. I lead a large multi-site church, okay? And I, I love this church and I love the people and I love what we're getting to do. And I feel like we're making a difference in the community and making a difference in people's lives. So it's not, I'm not really so much knocking that. Partly I am, but as like, there, there's still a paradigm I think that we get stuck in that keeps us from being everything that Jesus meant for us to be. And well, don't you think that's the economic model? Like the, yes. the problem is the way that the way that we think about church funding and mission funding is built around efficiency. We get the most people in the building with the least amount of inputs. Therefore, we have the most amount of money to then spend on staff and mission, which is itself. Or, and to pay my salary. Yeah. Well, which that's that's a key piece of it. And I mean, I, I'm coming from a very different standpoint. Like we our our entire team, there's six people on our staff and we're all, we're all part-time bivocational. I, I chose that as a starting point in what I have pursued our entire calling and plant. And, you know, we're doing micro church networks. So it's like, there's all these, diff, there's a different economic model that requires. Talk about that just for a second. Did you do that because you had to? And then it worked, or you did it because you wanted to, with a hunch that it would it would work and help you escape some of the economic um, pressure to, to to kind of stick with the prevailing model. Well, so I'm a pastor's kid, which means I have you know, there's there's many pieces of this. First is like economic insecurity as a kid, like was you know a piece of that. So taking that away from my ministry actually gave me freedom in a lot of ways to say like, it's not, it's not about making money. It's about serving the King. Like I needed, I needed that distance. Um, I needed, I needed to take away the employee employer relationship between me and my people. Like that, that gave me a different um, freedom sort of moral authority and freedom that I couldn't have pursued. Otherwise they would have, they would have looked at what I was doing outside of the church and said, we're not paying you for that. And when you have a bivocational model, it gives you freedom to serve out of, out of generosity rather than out of obligation. 
um, it it made it so that everybody had to own what we were doing because I wasn't, they couldn't say we're paying you to do that. (laughs) You know, like you'd be like, no, you're not paying me to do that. And, you know, I'm not like my pastoral gift is probably like third or fourth. And so I need, I need the church to lean in and, and thankfully because we've pushed pastoral care down to the micro church level, that's not a big part of my time. And it happens in an organic relational connecting point so so yes it was it was by design from the beginning and now we're at a spot where they really need me more and I'm trying to figure out how do I how do I do what I'm doing and how do I economically make my life work and that's you know a question for me and my therapist and my wife to work through Dave I think it would be a good exercise for anybody who is a paid church leader to just to begin to imagine okay what would you do with your church if tomorrow they told you they weren't going to pay you? Is is your call still on your life? Is it still valid even if there's no money tied to it? Because uh, I, I yeah, because I think I think it, wouldn't it make it make you first think differently about what you said your call? But I think it also make you think differently about your whether it's your programs or your strategy and tactics. Yeah, it it requires you to think differently about yeah help you break out of that or at least begin to expand out of that paradigm well if you have less money and less time you get really um really focused on what matters right like if if you have and and this is what happens with church planners all the time is they've got 40 hours a week or maybe 60 hours a week depending on their you know the type of boundaries they have and a lot of them will spend 20 or 30 hours a week working on a sermon a lot of them oh my gosh yes it's unbelievable I got to say, like, it's wasted time. (laughs) I mean, like, seriously, like, if we're getting down to it, I don't think Jesus was spending 40 hours a week thinking about how he was going to write a sermon. I think, I think he was living out the gospel and, you know, workshopping his content with his disciples. And then it was, and then he was training and giving vision in these larger communities. But like, we put more than half of our time as communicators into this. 30 and I, you know, I was at a mega church before I, I planted and I would, when I preached, because it was in front of 4,000 people, you have to, you do 30 hours, 40 hours a week of preparation and practice. And then you do it four times, you know, like there's all those pieces to it. And I got to tell you, I don't, I don't think it was significantly better than what I do now with five or six hours. Yeah. I, and I, I think that for church planners, they have to ask different questions when they're bivocational and sometimes like the, it, this is a, it's, it, 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 there's a ditch on both sides of this road. There are Bible guys who get out of ministry because they can't make their life work because of finances or time, or they're demanding that they be this mega church pastor on 10 hours or 15 or 20 hours a week. And then over here, you've got guys who wouldn't, wouldn't do ministry if they didn't make $70,000 a year, because that's, that's their profession. For me, once I settled in my heart that I'm going to make disciples the rest of my life, now it's just a matter of like making it work. Okay, what's what's this season for? How am I participating in God's work? How am I raising up the next? Because if if Jesus spent 90% of his time raising up 12 teenage boys to lead the next generation, and that was the master plan of evangelism, as Robert Coleman would say, um, I think he's Jesus had, had this radical genius that we don't believe in. We think that we have a better way of doing it. I think, yeah, we're we're getting off in my my tangents now, but oh, well said. 
Um, okay, I got a couple more questions before we go. I don't want to. I don't want to overstep the generous time you've made. The week of exponential. Our our <laughs> podcast made it. Um, I, I got four quick questions. These will be lightning questions for you. Okay. What what book are you reading right now that you're just digging? Um, just I just recently finished um, Mark Sayers. Um, what's what's it called? Um, presence. Um, oh, his new one. Yeah, not presence, which um, and actually I'm going to be in Australia in April or great. Know, April, one, one of them. Um, when are we getting market exponential? That's the next question. I know. <laughs> well, I'm in, actually so I'm going to hang out with him some while I'm there. Um, Good. I, I would encourage yeah everybody to check it out. It's it's a little bit frustrating because it's kind of like I I I want to take that book and I want to go like okay now here's the practical how tos at the end of it. <laughs> Well, uh, did you read um let's see Disappearing and Reappearing Church? Which what is it? Disappearing Church and then Reappearing Church that he wrote. Uh-uh. He he gets into more of that because he he sees non-anxious presence as like the the kingdom. Oh, really? okay. Yeah, so that's where I need to go next then. All right. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Uh who would you want to meet if you could meet anybody today? It doesn't have to be a church person, it can be you, you probably meet all the church people you want, but who would you want to meet? Who do I want to meet if I could meet anybody today? Wow. Um, <laughs> the person that comes to mind, this is lame, is Giannis. I think he seems like such an interesting dude. I mean, the Greek freak. I, I like that. I, I, he's he's an interesting guy. Yeah. He's not in the NBA right now, but he's also got a great story and seems to be yeah. so- generous with just a generous spirit i don't know where he is spiritually did you see him call out kd this week basically going like he's like basically like buddy you keep searching for a super team but if if we hang out i'll teach you how to make your team great around you (laughs) i was like that's that's some flame that's fire right there (laughs) the dude went to went to milwaukee and made it happen if if you can win in milwaukee you can do anything that's that's the reality. Yeah. Uh, I'm so stoked about the NBA fi- the NBA playoffs this year, man. There's so many. Te- okay, anyways, we, we don't want to go in the NBA. Uh, who would you want to meet from history if you could meet anybody? Oh, so, other, uh, other than Jesus, well, let's take that one off the board. <laughs> You've already uh, met him. Okay, hold on. You got, see, the first if it's supposed to be so if it's supposed to be like lightning round. I'm supposed to give you the first thought. This is first person that came to mind is Pistol Pete Maravich. <laughs> basketball's on well it's it's march you know it's a basketball time <laughs> i i i i was i just watched i watched kind of a, a, a an old uh, an old video of his life and stuff the, the dude i mean you know i mean he still i think holds the record for average or the most points in a college career and that yeah, was yeah. the three-point line that's crazy or the three-point line and if you go back and look at some i don't know if you played hoops or not but i played hoops as a kid and i let him but I mean, he invented almost all the all the kind of the ball handling drills that people oh, still yeah, use. So, Have you seen some of those old videos where he's like dribbling behind his back, like at lightning speed, just like bah, 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 bah. Like, oh, yeah. guys. or where he's dribbling? Yeah, he would be driving. He riding his bike around town. He's dribbling. He's ri- driving the car. He's dribbling outside the car. Talk I about mean, handles, man. Yeah, yeah. Okay, pistol. I love that both of them have been basketball. I mean, it would have been sport, well, a sport for at least one of those. Um, last thing, what would be the, if you give one piece of advice to church 
planner who's in process, what would you tell them? Um, well, I, I, th I think this is, yeah, I think fundamental to leadership is you reproduce who you are. Yeah. And I think that both has a qualitative and a quantitative. So, I mean, if you want, if you want the, if you want the, the people, you know, if you're a guy and you want the dads in your church to be great dads, do your best to be a great dad. Cause you're going to reproduce that. If you yeah. want them to have a healthy marriage, I mean, so have healthy marriage, have a healthy marriage because you're going to reproduce who you are. So never, because in a lot of us that are in the church planning world, we are kind of wired more apostolic. We are a little more driven. Okay. Yeah. And all your efforts to do awesome things, don't forget, you're going to reproduce what you, who you are even more yep. than what you want. So that, that's what I'd say. Well, I, I think there's a corollary to that, which is if you want to become something, find somebody who is those things. And too, mm -hmm. too often as church planners, we look around and go, I've got to become this in a vacuum because I have to be the guy who, you know, shows everybody how to do that. But too often, like church planners aren't willing to go, you know what, I got to go find somebody who knows how to do that and teach me and disciple me. Yeah, yeah. that's good. I like that. All right. Well, man, thank you so much for some time. I'm excited about the, the new thing, House Party, next week. Those are always some of my favorite days. We'll be together, and uh, I'll see you, see you in Orlando, man. Right, see you next week. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the City Network Podcast. If you have any comments or questions, join the discussion on our Facebook group at thecitynetwork.org slash group. Or sign up at the website to subscribe to updates from our blog and podcast.